You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Chandler Bolt has been responsible for publishing 7,000 books. Many of them have become bestsellers. And he did it all through his site, selfpublishing.com. Let's listen to his story. Here he is. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. People always ask me if I was like, let's say 23 years old and just starting out again, what business or ideas would I pursue? And I don't really know the answer, but certainly the idea of being in the self-publishing business is not only an idea I probably would strongly consider if I was 23, I'm even strongly considering it right now. Yeah, totally. Like you're, you're really doing some smart stuff. You know, last time we spoke, you had just self-published the book, but then you went like all in and you have the self-publishing business, selfpublishing.com, great URL. What have you been up to? Yeah. So gosh, last time we we spoke, I think it was when you were on my podcast and, and back in 2020. And it was, you know, I titled it The Most Interesting Man in Publishing because <laughs> oh, it was one I of the most fascinating that. conversations I've had in a long time. But you you might have you might have replaced me as the most fascinating man in publishing. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've just been scaling, man. It's uh, we've just been scaling. I mean, obviously started as self publishing school, now selfpublishing dot com, rolling out a bunch of services, a whole services arm. We've got the education arm, and just kind of been in scale mode. And so, yeah. So tell me about that. So you had self published your book. What kind of what kind of drove you further? So you 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 wrote a book originally published The Proven Path from Blank Page to 10,000 Copies Sold. By the way, I see you have 1,600 reviews, which is amazing on that. Thank you. know, you. I remember a publisher once told me, if you get 1,300 reviews on a book, that means the book's going to live forever. So like, for instance, with Choose Yourself, my best-selling book, which I self-published back in 2013, I forgot how many reviews it has, but it has more than 1,300, and, and I sell copies every month. Like I get, mm -hmm. it has actually, it has 6,000 rankings. So I sell copies every month and, you know, or, or Kamal Ravikant's book, uh, which I've, you know, I've had Kamal on the podcast a lot. He's had 11,000 rankings. He gets a check every month from his book. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess to answer your original question on kind of what sparked the, I guess the business, I mean, it, it probably much like where you're thinking about saying, Hey, how can I 
create some of the knowledge that you have on, on self-publishing, on publishing books as well is, um, you know, I published a couple of books, they did pretty well. And then people kept asking, Hey, how are you doing this? And I, I had dropped out of school, um, cause I was tired of learning how to run a business from professors who have never ran a business. And so I dropped out of school. I hear you. <laughs> I know. I, I chose myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, well, congratulations for, okay, let me, let's pull, pull back for a second. When you dropped out of school, what was going on in your life? I'd run a couple businesses in high school and college. So I had a, uh, a landscaping, lawn care, and pressure washing business in high school and then a house painting company in college through a company called Student Painters. And so- Oh yeah, I, I think uh, Student Painters has been around for a really long time. Yes, yes. There's, and so I, my first year there, I was number one in the country, number one in the company, entrepreneur of the year, did six wow. figures. That kind of gave me the confidence to say, all right, I'm learning way more doing business than I am studying business. And so I should drop out. And I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but no, when you were say six figures and you're in college, was that like how much of the six figures did you get to keep, and how much the student painters get to keep? Yeah, I think I I think I did a hundred and three thousand in sales uh, uh, that I could that I was actually able to paint the houses. I think I kept about seventeen thousand, and maybe student painters kept twenty or thirty thousand or so. So it's kind of like a franchise model, but they covered all the yeah. upfront costs. That's what I, so. I didn't have to put anything up front. I had a zip code, some marketing materials, some training, and then I just kind of ran with it. I, I know we're talking about like a whole bunch of things, but how did you paint so many houses in a summer? Like, <laughs> you hire a lot of people. Like, how did you learn the, the concept of scaling when you were like 19 years old? Honestly, through student painters. I mean, it, it's, it, I look at it as like a, it's a franchise meets internship. And so, and it, I would compare it kind of like Navy SEALs Hell Week but for the business equivalent and is seven months long. <laughs> um, and so they, they gave us the systems and all that stuff. And then they said, Hey, if you follow these systems and you work really, really hard, you'll do well. And so I just listened to what they said and then uh, implemented and executed and then hired college students to help paint the houses. And uh, it was a wild ride. Well, why do you think you were so much better at sales then? I mean, student painters, I remember this from 40 years or 30 years ago or 35 years ago when I was, whenever I was in college, I can't add anymore. And <laughs> how did you manage to do so much better than everyone else who was running their own student painter business? Like what did, was it the location? Was it your sales technique? Like, did you have some natural yeah, sales question. ability? Like what were, what were the kind of skills that you used? I, I don't think it's the sexy answer. I think it's just, I was, I worked harder and I was more determined than anyone else. Like I wasn't naturally gifted at sales. I didn't like it. I wasn't good at it. I remember coming into our sales 201 training and I looked around the room and I was, if not worst, I was the close to worst. And I looked around the room and I'm like, I know for a fact, no one here has worked harder than me. And yet somehow I'm in last place. And so that was kind of this, uh, I guess, come to Jesus moment where I realized I've got to get better at this whole sales thing. And so I think I just outworked everyone. It's the, you know, the Will Smith thing of like, you know, if you put me on a treadmill next to someone. <laughs> yeah, no, not that. You just went up there and you just slapped <laughs> the instructor. Not that and Will that Smith. Guy <laughs> but you know where he's like, hey, if you put me against someone on a treadmill, there's only one of two solutions. I, I will die or I will I will keep going longer than them. And so that was just kind of, I don't know. I, I just worked really hard, and anybody can work hard in the first month or two. What I found it was it was July and August, the dog days of summer in Charleston, South Carolina. It's you know it's just a hundred something degrees every day. Like that was when I separated. 
from everyone else. I was, you know, behind or upper part of the pack, but at the very end, that was the difference. So what does it mean? Like, did you knock on doors and say, hey, I think your house needs painting? Or yes. or did you put up signs at the grocery store? Or what did you do? Oh, all the things. I mean, my, my manager worked with me to basically say, hey, you want to be entrepreneur of the year? Let's break down all the goals. You need to drop a thousand flyers every weekend. You need to knock on X amount of doors. You need to hire door knockers to go. You need to do 10 or 15 estimates every single weekend. You need like, here's the path. And so it's just guerrilla marketing. I mean, you get a zip code and some marketing materials and you go make it happen. But also, I will say this, like one, one thing early on that I realized is, you know, I'm knocking on all these doors, putting flyers on all these mailboxes is I was thinking, I'm like, how can I get in every one of these mailboxes? And then it dawned on me is getting the newspaper. So then it was like, all right, let me work smarter, not harder. And so then I, I got in the newspaper, I got on the local television uh, and then I got- uh, just emailed them. I, I emailed everyone at the station and said, hey, I'm a local college kid running a business. Like, I think this is a really cool story. Let's talk. And of course, you, you found the secret, which many people don't realize. It's not that TV is sitting back and looking for big investigative you know, <laughs> you know, news to release. Like, they're desperate for content. Yes. And so if you give them kind of a packaged story They'll say, sure, why not? You could fill a five-minute slot on TV or we'll run exactly. a small little article about you because we need the content. They'd have to put ads on it. Yeah. And so you gave them a package story. And, you know, student entrepreneur is amazing and uh, they're happy <laughs> yeah. to run with it. Yeah, painting the future. <laughs> you yeah. know, just kind of served up that and, and, uh, and said, hey, I'll make your life easy. I'll do the interview whenever you need. You can call me right now. Like I just, and I kept following up. You know, I... I I always wonder about this because, and we'll, again, I always have to say, we'll get to self-publishing in a second, but I'm really fascinated by this because when I was in college, I was paying for my own college. I was taking out loans and no one was giving me any money. And I had to, I had to work like five different jobs to just eat and pay rent, but I was making, and this was a long time ago, but you know, it's not like I'm ancient. So I was making maybe $700 a month working probably a 40 hour work week plus taking six courses, six because I had to graduate a year early in order to avoid paying for another year's tuition. And why didn't I think of doing something that was a little bit more scale? Like you made $17,000 in the summer. You were the king on campus the next year. <laughs> you were rich. I never had more than like a, a hundred dollars to my name until until I was like 28 years old. Like it was crazy. Yeah. So like, what was I missing? Like, what was I not? And it wasn't that I wasn't ambitious. I was very ambitious, but I just didn't think, oh, I should do something a little more scalable. It sure felt like, I mean, $17,000 at the time was like, it was the most money I've ever made in my life. I mean, it was this crazy figure. But I think the part where most people couldn't get past is you don't make money for the first few months. So every you're giving up every weekend in the spring, which I mean, in college is that's a big, that's a big thing yeah. you're giving up. But you don't make money till the summer till you actually paint houses, and then you're giving up your summer to running run a painting business, <laughs> and yeah. you know that's just not a very popular proposition, <laughs> I guess, and, unless you're really motivated and want to do it. And so then you went back to school, and you mentioned that you left school because you were disenchanted with professors teaching business who had never run a business, which yes. I've lectured in a lot of schools and I've seen these professors. It's a shame what professors are teaching these kids these days from a marketing book written 70 years ago. <laughs> but uh, like what happened to trigger you saying, that's it, I quit? 
And were your parents upset? Were your friends like, you're crazy, man? Oh, everyone. I mean, everyone thought I was crazy. Really what sparked it is I always knew I was, I went to college for the learning, not the degree. And I always said, hey, if, if, if it ever makes sense, I'll drop out. And then a friend challenged me. He's like, hey, man, you're running this successful business. Why are you still in school? Why don't you drop out? And it, it forced me to really think. And so then I started thinking, all right, well, what if I double down and finish early? And that sounded miserable. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, believe me, I doubled down and finished early, and I was miserable. <laughs> and well, so then you know firsthand. I mean, that's when I just said, "Well, if it's not worth finishing early, is it worth finishing at all?" And I kind of weighed the pros and cons, got some advice, and I just said, "The opportunity cost is too great. I could yeah, I could finish the totally degree for agree. seven grand, but the opportunity cost is way more than that." This is so much my argument against college because a you went for the learning, not the degree. By the way, you could learn all your life. Pick up a book, watch a YouTube video. I learned so much more in the four years after college than during college, just from, I got obsessed with reading. So that's changed my learning habits and had nothing to do with the degree. Second, after your first job, maybe, if you take a regular corporate job like I did for a while, after your first job, no one ever asks about your degree ever again for the rest of your life. And I don't even know if they really asked about my degree in my first job interview. Like, it doesn't matter. And right. particularly today, even more than in the past, people need employees with skills, not people with degrees. So they do not care. The one thing your degree shows, I will say, is that this person from the ages of 18 to 22 had the discipline to finish something. But some people <laughs> Which care I about did that, not. some people <laughs> I guess. But that's okay because you made, <laughs> but, but you had a different discipline. You started a business and then you committed to it and you, you decided you're going to be an entrepreneur and so on. Sometimes people go to college for the networking, which did not work for me. I did not have any friends at all when I left college. But in any case, so you left college and then what did you do? Yeah, so dropped out of school and then, you know, said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this business. I moved halfway across the country uh, into an entrepreneur house tried starting a business. The business was failing at the time. And then meanwhile, I'd published, or I published a couple books as I was dropping out of school. And the books did decently well. And then people started asking, hey, how are you doing this book thing? And so I think the big lesson that I learned that might be helpful for listeners is, you know, you can only get smacked in the face so many times before you turn around and look. And you turn around and look, and there's a line of people wanting that thing. So it's, it's, it was the thing that people would ask me about, which was, hey, how do you do a book? And I'd get on the phone with them for an hour and tell them everything I knew for free just to be a nice person and, and say, hey, good luck. Hope that helps. And then you only have so many of those conversations while simultaneously the business I was working on was just failing until I said, hold what, up. What was your business that was failing? Yeah. So um, I'd written a book on productivity. The book did really well. It started growing an email list of thousands of people and all this stuff. So we said, hey, logical next step. Let's make a productivity course. Um, but the big mistake we made is we made the thing that no one wanted. We I, now I'm a big believer in sell then build. So make sure that you know validate the idea that people are willing to pay for it and then build it. But back then we we just spent all this money building the thing that no one wanted, and then we tried to sell it. So important because, like for instance, you could have tested that idea simply put up a bunch of ads. Click here for my productivity course. Like ads right. on Facebook say, click here for my productivity course, and then you could have tried other stuff. Click here for my course on how to publish a book, click here for my investing course. And then the clicks might, you could just have them go to an empty page, but at least from that test, you could see what people are clicking on. And you could right. have known nobody, nobody really gives a shit about productivity. 
unless they're in a situation where they're desperately unproductive, in which case <laughs> they don't have time to take a course. Or the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so by that way, that book, I have it right here, Productivity Hacks for Entrepreneurs, 53 Simple Ways to Grow Your Business and Increase Productivity in Five Minutes or Less. Uh, so that was your, your first book. Were you like making some money from these early books? Like you were, you were still very young? Yeah, yeah. And there was actually one before that. It was called The Productive Person, similar concept. Um, so that was the one that started making a few thousand dollars a month in wow. passive income. You know, it was, it was bringing in royalties. This was like in the early days of the Kindle Gold Rush where there's, you know, there was all this money to be made. There still is, but it's just way more competitive now. Um, and so it was doing really well. I did that as I dropped out of school. And it kind of applied all the lessons I learned from the painting business and mark, guerrilla marketing, knocking on doors, you know, PR stuff and, uh, you know, cold calling and flyers and basically, you know, applied that towards books. Now, obviously, it looks very different. I'm not knocking on doors to sell my book, um, but just kind of those, those, the psychology of marketing, of sales, of all those things. And so I kind of took the things I learned there, applied that to book stuff. The book did way better than I ever thought it would. It was not... I did not do it to make money. I just thought it would be a fun project that would, would help some of my friends. So this is a book you self-published in 2014. Correct. So a couple of things to learn from this because a lot of this still applies now. First off, you made a couple thousand dollars a month. The average author who publishes with Simon & Schuster or Random House or Penguin or whatever is not going to make a few thousand dollars a month. They're going to sell 300 copies of their book and the publisher is not going to market it. And that's that. Yeah. There's another important lesson, which is that obviously your book was Kindle and audiobook only. It wasn't paperback or hardcover, mm -hmm. uh, which I want to ask you about. But you, it was only 106 pages. And I think this is an important insight. Books do not have to be 250 pages. Publishers want books to be 250 pages, but there's no rule in the Bible or the Constitution that says if you write a book, it has to be 60,000 words and 250 pages. That's just something bookstores and publishers made up. Your book's 106 pages and it's a book. People did well right. with it. You did well with it. So, mm -hmm. but why didn't you, you know, it's just a button. Why didn't you uh, make a paperback version back in 2014? Yeah, we we actually did. And so maybe it's not available now, but the for the productive person, we basically launched the ebook first and then that started doing well, but then it was, it's more logistics. So it took us a little bit and we went through the design process and hired, used the money to basically make the book better. Then we launched a paperback and then used that money to launch an, an audio book. But we kind of did those, um, those few things. But to your point, yeah, it was a pretty short book. I want to say it was maybe in the 15 to 20,000 word range, but we just leaned into that and pitched it as that. It's like, hey, this is a book on productivity. If, you, if you're reading this book, you likely don't have time. So we made it short to the point succinct. And so we kind of use that to, to market the book. And, and you control the pricing, you control exactly. the marketing, you control when it's released. And first off, I, I still think there's a slight stigma against self-publishing. And, and I've been writing about self-publishing now for probably 11 years, since about 2012 or 2011. And there was a stigma then. There's still a slight stigma now, like, oh, I'm only going with a real publisher. Right. A, quote unquote, real publishers don't really give big advances anymore unless you're like, you know, uh, JK Rowling, or maybe they don't even give her advances now anymore either. But, uh, you know, they don't really give it, it, it big advances. And it's so easy to just, I don't want to say easy, but you could write your 106 page book, then you could write another one, then you could write another one, and you could, you know, eventually you build together a, a stream of income. So this is, 
it's very valuable what you did. And you learned all the skills of self-publishing while you did this. So whether or not even the book did well, you learned a lot of skills. Like I, I self-published my first couple of books as kind of experiments. And then with Choose yeah. Yourself, I decided I'm going to do what's called professionally self-published. And I, like you, I, I gave advice on how to do it for free. I wrote about it for free. My posts are still out there, but you kind of took your experience and really turned it into a business. Yeah. It's, uh, there's two things I want to add on to what you said. I mean, the first is a lot of people think, oh, if I work with a publisher, they're going to market my book. Well, it's called book publisher, not book marketer, right? The publisher's right. not going to market your book. It's up to you, the author, to, to market your book. And so, but you're right. There is still, I think, a little bit of a stigma where, you know, it, but it used to be self-publishing. It was the backup plan. It was like the thing you only did if you couldn't get a publishing deal. But now it's becoming the the preferred option for more and more authors. And I think because people realize I can keep the rights, I can keep the royalties. I'm going to be the one marketing this book anyway. 70% of all books sold are sold on Amazon and other online retailers. You don't need a publisher to publish there. Like there's all these things that kind of work in in favor of that. And in and, and addition to, I really appreciate I like just how much of an advocate you've been for self-publishing over the years. Like it's it feels cool to feel like we're both kind of on the frontier of like telling people like, hey, this is, I know, you know, maybe your mom and the other professors and people who care that you traditionally publish, this might not be as good for them. But if you look under the hood, it's actually a much better option for most people. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side -side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, 
you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see, you'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, I remember at one point, I don't know if he's still doing this. I don't think he is, but Hugh Howey, who wrote, who self-published the science fiction series, Wool, which now is, um, I think as of next week is going to, going to be an Apple plus TV series called silo, but he, he first published the series back in 2012. We met, you know, because he was self-publishing, I was self-publishing Amazon got, I think it was like 2013 or 2014, Amazon got a bunch of self-published authors together and I met him, but Hugh was telling me then that the average, um, he collected all this data and the average self-published book actually had higher star ranking on Amazon than the mainstream, average mainstream published books. So, so on average, the books were higher quality and they were ranked higher in sales. So they were selling more than the average mainstream oh, published book. It, but it, it makes, makes sense, sense because <laughs> you're in charge of the marketing. Right? So, and incentives are aligned. You get instant feedback. Whereas the publisher is going to get is going to give you the data from like you know three months ago or whatever, but as a self published author, you just log in your dashboard and you say how many books did I sell yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I went on the James Altucher podcast. Did it move books or not? It's so powerful to have that kind of control, and it was so exciting to me. I wish I had started a business around self publishing then because it seemed to me like I think it still is a frontier because there's a lot of avenues to explore, but you're doing the right thing. So you published this book, you got all these skills. And like you said, you know, the KDP, you know, first off, you made it a Kindle, but you could have easily, and you did, you, you made it a paperback, but it's, you can make it a paperback at the same time. A lot of times people think self-published just means ebook, but Amazon just lets you click a button and it turns into a paperback as well, or a yeah. hardcover now. 
Yeah, which that's a pretty, so that used to be through CreateSpace. Now it's through Kindle Direct Publishing, but it, it's it's really pretty amazing because print on demand, I mean, my newest book, right, published, this is a print on demand. And it used to be people thought, okay, this is a crappy quality. You know, it's print on demand, like it's it's not as good. And, and it's really come a long way where you look at this book and what we tell people all the time is your self-published book shouldn't look self-published. And so right. just because you choose that. that route, like it needs to be a professionally published quality book. And then like you said, you know, I've got some uh, hardbacks back there, but those are printed through Amazon, which that was a game changer because that, you know, that was kind of one thing that you couldn't, you know, you have to go through Ingram or traditional publishers that hardback. And, you know, those are more expensive. It, that matters for some people more than others of having that. But now you can also publish those through Amazon. And then not to mention Audible and ACX and all that. I mean, just the royalties that come from that alone. I'm sure you see it from from your books. It's it's, it's pretty sizable. I didn't really want to do an audiobook because I have never to this day in my life listened to an audiobook. I just, I don't know why. I just am not really interested in that. But so I wasn't going to do it. But Tucker Max, who's also very much a, a guru of self-publishing and, and a massive best-selling author as well, he said, you have to do an audiobook. Yeah. And and then he called my wife and he said, don't let James do some crappy audiobook by recording in his closet. Like use any name, <laughs> John Marshall Studios in New York. They did the Harry Potter books. He's going to use them. It's worth it. And so I did it. And and I still get bigger checks from the audiobooks than the paperbacks on on every book. Like people love a lot of people listen to audiobooks. I bet. Well, and because I mean, think if you think about, it, I mean, if people listen to this podcast, they probably like audio form content. So the bridge from this podcast to listen to your audiobook is not that far, right? And then there's the audio uh, or Audible bounty stuff, which a lot of people don't know about, but we tap into that a lot with our authors. What, what is that? I don't know about that. So you basically say. Um, you know, if someone downloads a, a, a book on Audible and your yours, your book is the first book that they download, they can come from you, but they don't have to, and they stick with an Audible subscription, um, then Amazon gives you, I think it, they changed the amount, but 75 bucks. And so what we do and what you could totally do as well is, is make a simple link. I think mine's like publishedbook.com forward slash Audible. Um, and so it's a short link that goes to a referral code where we just say, hey, if you want to go get the audiobook, go get it. And they can get it for free by signing up for a trial of an Audible account. Then they keep the, if they keep the account, you get 75 bucks. So for a lot of our authors, that's hundreds of dollars a month in royalties that they get just from that piece of their audiobook. Wow, that's valuable information. I didn't know that. So you wrote published. At this point, so, so published is... The title is published, The Proven Path from Blank Page to 10,000 Copies Sold. By the way, again, just to underline it, 10,000 copies sold is 20 times more than the average mainstream published author sells. So it, it's a big number. Yes. And you know, you're claiming to do it in the title. Uh, it was at that point, like when did you start your business helping people self-publish? We started in, we launched in 2015, uh, for self-publishing school. And then we've published about 7,000 books since Oh my then. God. Let's start from scratch. <laughs> How do you publish 7,000 books? Like what, what do you do? Yeah. I, I mean, we have a, a, a big team and a lot of authors that we work with. So we publish one to five books a day um, now. And so we, we, have, we have courses, we have training programs, we now have services and all that stuff. But those are just that we can track. 
I know that the actual number is probably a lot more than that. And not even if you count people who just read my book and then published a book, we don't. These, these are people who right. have paid us and we can track that they have published is 7,000. Um, but we just, we try to make the process easier and, and more frictionless and then kind of do a lot of the services and things that helps people actually get published. But I know, I know that's not very 7, specific. How do you 7,000 customers and then... And then what do they write about? <laughs> uh, it's all over the map. I mean, we're really good at content marketing and business development and partnerships. Those are kind of our two main things. I see you are on your, you actually on my, when I Google self-publishing, you rank higher on the first page than Amazon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Shout out to the content team. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's not even, so we have multiple sites. So you probably are seeing self-publishing school. You might also be seeing selfpublishing.com. Selfpublishing.com is what I see. There you go. Um, you might also, so we have a bunch of sites that we own where we produce content that helps solve people's problems around the topic of book writing. And then that kind of feeds a massive funnel to come into our world um, where people are Googling or searching and then they find our content and they say, hey, I want to work with you guys on my book. And then we publish, I mean, all over, it's all over the map, predominantly nonfiction. We have a fiction arm of the company and a children's book arm of the company, but it's predominantly nonfiction books that help people grow their businesses is kind of the, the sweet spot. But pretty much any genre, we, we've done it. Why do you think, like, basically the intersection of business and self-help, like, for instance, a book about productivity, for instance, or a book about entrepreneurship, this seems to be the biggest genre for self-publishing writers. Why do you think that is? It's a great question. I mean, probably because it's the most straightforward. <laughs> uh, and so if, if I've done that thing, then I can easily write about that thing. Now, there's, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it definitely makes it way more competitive. So you have to be specific and you have to niche down if your book is going to be successful. I mean, the riches are in the niches, as you know. And so it's more competitive, but there is still a, a spot to be carved out there, I think. You know, it's interesting because I find that both the best and the worst books are in that category because I would say business people, you know, and, and I count you and me in that and a lot of other people, you kind of need now to have a book to stand out. Like, let's say you're up for a consulting gig or a speaking gig, and let's say you're against someone, they're trying to choose between you and someone else with equal skills. One person wrote a book, the other person didn't. The person who wrote the book is getting the gig. So... It's really, it really helps you stand out when you have something to give someone. This is my book. It's like a right. college degree in a sense. Like right. I sat down and had the discipline and I wrote this book and published it. Mm -hmm. And no one says, well, were you self-published or not? No one says that. <laughs> yeah. Did Penguin Portfolio publish your book? No one asked that. Right. But the same time is, you know, business people are not, on, in general, business people are not writers. Physicists are not writers. Chemists mm -hmm. are not writers. Athletes are not writers you know, there's a skill to writing. And sometimes I find, not in every case, but sometimes I find business books very boring because there's yeah. no stories. Yeah. Well, I think there's two things there. I mean, number one, you're, the, the content needs to be able to stand alone, be great. You need to be good yeah. at what you're doing. And and if the content stands alone is, is great, sometimes you can get away with not being as a good of a writer. But even still, like that's why we recommend you, you need to work with great editors because they're going to make your book a lot better. And you need to make sure that your self-published book doesn't look self-published. And so 
I'm not a big fan. A lot of people subscribe to it of just like, oh, get AI to write a book or, you know, just, just spit out something and just, it's a business card, just throw it up there. I want to make the book great because if it's a virtual handshake that brings people into your business like crazy. It'll be the best thing you ever do to grow your business. But pretty much not, maybe not only if it's a good book, because a lot of people will just see that you have a book and then that'll open up doors. But if you want it to really stand the test of time and if you're playing the long game, the book needs to be good. And we always joke kind of internally is like the joke of real authors write fiction, like the fiction side of our business. Like those guys are really, really, really good writers. And to succeed in fiction, you have to be a great writer. Like I think that's honestly, I think is a lot of your magic, James, is you are an amazing storyteller, an incredible writer with great content. And so that stands out. It's not just another self-help book when you look at your books. What I did was very specifically... A, first I've quote unquote paid my dues, which is a phrase I don't like because I don't always feel you have to pay your dues on certain issues. But right. I wrote four unpublishable novels when I first started writing. I spent 10 years writing fiction that didn't get published before I had my first published piece of work. And I read fiction every day. I read the best fiction writers. I really studied writing from the point of view of fiction writing. So I made sure all of my writing, even nonfiction writing, had the feel of like literary fiction, which, you know, there was, there was a story, there was a plot, there were characters. The phrasing was picked specifically to make you feel like you're at, on the scene, which I think is very different from a lot of nonfiction writing. I agree. And I think that's what it makes a lot of your writing compelling. It's, it's always interesting. It's provocative. Usually, you know, how, you know how to find the hook within the thing so you can tell the thing that needs to be said, but you can also make it interesting so that, so that people actually care. Yeah, like I, when I sit down to write something, even if I roughly know what I'm going to write, I make sure at the end, basically three things. It's very entertaining. It's got to be entertaining first and foremost. Everything in life that has to be entertaining, basically. Like this podcast has to be entertaining. TikTok videos have to be entertaining. A PhD thesis has to be entertaining, but never is. Books have to be entertaining. So it has to be entertaining. It has to be educational. And by educational, I mean, you have to say something new that's never been said before. And you can't be controversial for the sake of being controversial. You have to say things you believe, but you just have to push the frontier of some area that you love or else no one cares. And you have to tell it with stories. Third, I have to be afraid to hit publish before I hit publish. Because if I'm afraid, then Ooh, I know I'm like going to create some emotional reaction yeah. among the readers. And that's what happens. Like my most viral article ever, I asked myself, so this was the New York City is Dead article. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like 30 million people read that article. It was like probably the last viral post ever. <laughs> I think it was the only time a LinkedIn article made the news. But the thing I was afraid of, when I, I asked myself right before hitting publish, what am I actually afraid of here? And I'm afraid because normally when I'm pessimistic about something, I end on an optimistic note. And this was the one time I couldn't find anything to be optimistic about. And so I was afraid to disappoint people and that people would think differently of me because I'm not being optimistic. Little did I know that that particular fear was what really blew this, blew this up. But oh. so 7,000 customers, they come to you, they get services like what? Yeah. So we, we coach people through the process of writing and publishing. So our goal is to save people hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars in that process and to help them write a better book that they're proud of that sells more copies and grows their business. 
right? So coaching and education, that's been predominantly like that's the bedrock of the business. And then we now have a bunch of services. So we were, we would have people, we would refer people out because we didn't want to do the service side of the business to cover designers, formatters, editors, kind of all that stuff. And now we've put a lot of that in house because we just feel like it's the final mile of publishing that yeah. can be really frustrating. And people just kept saying, Hey, can we just, I don't want to pay seven different people and hire all these people. I don't want to do that. I just want to pay you. So we, we started rolling out a lot of those services. So now we do all that final mile of publishing for people. So it's really interesting because it, this is a really great way to test the concept, which is first coach people, which means you just talk to them. Like, here's how you self publish. Mm -hmm. Here's who you should use, blah, blah, blah. And then they go off and do it. And you charge for that some minimal amount. It probably wasn't a lot. And then the next step, now that people are coming to you and you're known, and, and in a sense, you validated the concept. Now you could go from coaching to project managing. Like, okay, you don't right. want to hire everybody. We'll hire people. Right. And then the next step after that is you're getting enough business. You could bring some of those services in house. Like you yeah. could hire a, a, a full-time cover designer, you right. could hire full-time editors. You could hire full-time people to, who, to bring books to, to Formatting, you know, KDP. ISBNs, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all the, the ISBN stuff, all the, the nuts and bolts, which is actually, it's easy, but it's scary because you don't want to mess that stuff up. Right. That, that, that very final, you called it the final mile, the, the, that very final foot is the scariest part because if you mess that up, you, you went from having a published book to an ugly unpublished book. <laughs> right. And it's a growing business. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's exploding. We've been on the Inc. 5000 the last few years in a row. It's one of the fastest growing private companies in the U.S., Help me land on Forbes thirty under thirty. I mean, wow. We can we consistently we consistently grow. We just had our uh, first million dollar month of of. Oh my gosh, that's and, great! And not just not just like I think a lot of people say it's after refunds at like no big promotion, no live event, like because we've hit that number before. But that to me was like, all right, I want to build an evergreen engine that just keeps running and not just celebrate a one off thing. So we're growing and scaling and. Uh, changing a lot of lives through books, which is what we we love and get excited about. So the big goal is 100,000 books published by 2035. So that's what we're working towards. We've made a lot of progress, but we got a long way to go. So if you did a million dollar a month, that's a runway of 12 million in revenues a year. Mm -hmm. And let's say you have some profits in that. Has anybody approached you to acquire the business? Definitely. Have you raised yep. money? And haven't raised money. I bootstrapped. I own 100 percent of the business. We've definitely had acquirers come knocking, and some that are chasing me down currently. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm not currently interested in selling. I mean, it's it's a great business. There's a lot of competitors. There's a lot of competition. So there's definitely headwinds. But it's a great business, and I love what we're doing, and I'm really passionate about it. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. 
it works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! Let's say you have, after all costs and everything, let's say you have a million dollars in profit per year, hypothetically. I'm just making this up. I don't, you could have less, you could have more, whatever. The problem you have is in the publishing business, people don't understand that your business is not the same as Simon & Schuster. Like you're, you're much more scalable than a Simon & Schuster because they have to pay advances and they only pick a limited number of authors a year, you're providing a service essentially that people pay you for. So you're not dependent on their book sales to make money. But a private company or, or even any company that tries to buy you, they're gonna try to buy you for five to six times earnings. Right. So you're probably getting offers like five, six million if your profits are around a million. And honestly, that's enough, not enough. Like don't do that. Because if you're growing yeah. every year, then you know, wait until, I don't know what your personal goals are, but wait until you're worth like 10 to 15 million, you own hundred percent of the business. So let's say you sell for 15 million means you have like 3 million in profits. Okay. You clear 10 after taxes, then you can decide what to do with your life. And that's how I would view it. Or just keep growing. If you're making 3 million a year, why not just keep doing it? That that's fun too. Exactly. Especially if you love it. Right. And so I think there's two things that I would touch on there. One is the advantage that big publishing companies have over someone like me is they have a backlist and that is really, really, really valuable. So that's why they're yeah. disproportionately valuable. It's not good for authors, but it's really good for them in that business model because they know that they have their backlist of books that are just going to keep selling. And so it's almost like a recurring revenue model. Kind of like you said, hey, if your book gets over 1,300 reviews, you know, you're, you've got a, you now have a backlist as an author, right? And so that's definitely an advantage there. But then as far as to sell or not to sell, I mean, I look at it as, and maybe this is the wrong way to look at it, but if I'm getting 5X EBITDA, so 5X multiple on the profit of the business, well, I've, that means if I sell, I've got five years to build something bigger, which I wouldn't personally bet on that. <laughs> We've got a lot of momentum and yeah. That, that's a great point. And look, there's a lot of different magic numbers, but you're a young guy. So two, three million, you're not, you, you'd have to move to a different country to live forever on that. Because <laughs> yeah. if you think about like the, let's say you put it in dividend stocks, uh, like forgetting that stocks go up or down so you could lose money on that. But let's say you put it in conservative dividend stocks. Okay, you might make an average of 3% best case on your money. So let's say you cleared, let's say you sold your company for 5 million, clear 3 million after taxes, you're getting a 3% dividend on all the money, which by the way, would be crazy if you put all that money in just dividend stocks. But let's say you did that, you'd still be making 90,000 a year, which is basically the country's average. So you're not gonna be able to do everything you wanna do. You might even have a hard time starting a new business because your money needs to be generating income in a safe way and not be risked. So again, I'm not knocking 3 million. If anybody has that, that's a great, fantastic number. Congratulations, you're in the top one half of 1% or whatever. How old are you right now? 29. 29, you're in your 20s. Like, and yeah, it's hard to build. I, I keep thinking like, oh, I don't need to make that much money. I'm gonna easily start a next business and make even more. No, it is hard to start a business like your business right now. And obviously like you love the publishing business. Any Anybody I know who's ever been in the self-publishing business just loves it. Like it's such an exciting area of, of, of life, but how do you get people to sell? Like, what, first off, what are the, some of the biggest successes in terms of the writers you've helped publish? 
Oh, gosh. Um, there's a bunch of different ones. I mean, some of my favorite ones, I mean, this is like not like the most monetary success, but this is one of my favorite ones, is an eight-year-old Emma Sumner um, saw her dad write and publish a couple books with us. She said, Dad, I want to do that. And she wrote and published a kid's book called The Fairies of Waterfall Island. Um, I'm looking at it right now. It's, it made a few thousand dollars in the first few months. She donated oh a bunch God. of that to an autism awareness charity. And now she has an allowance, quote unquote, every single month that's really just her royalties from her books. And so I just think about like the trajectory of her. We always talk about how books change lives. They change the lives of readers and of authors. And I just think about how the trajectory of her life has forever changed from writing a book at eight years old. So again, that's not like the biggest monetary success, but it's definitely one of my favorite success stories. This is, this is really great. And let me see what year she published this, 2016. So I guess now she's about 15 or so. Yeah. Still and getting like checks. This is, this is something, yeah, this is something she carries with her forever for mm -hmm. life is that she published this book um, and it looks beautiful. The cover, look, cover looks beautiful. And again, only 132 pages. That's great. So who would you say, if you know this, who would you say is the author who's generated, who sold the most copies? Oh man, I don't, I don't have great stats because we're not a publisher. That's good for our right. authors, but not good for us for data purposes. One of my, one of the biggest monetary successes is um, AJ Osborne, wrote a book called, um, oh man, it's how to invest in self-storage uh, or investor's guide to self-storage. And that book I know has done tens of thousands of copies sold, but also has generated, I think he's raised over a hundred million dollars for his real estate investing fund through that book, if I'm not mistaken, or that book has certainly helped with that. I'm going to buy this book, not because I want to be in the self-storage business, but ever since like 2002, I was invested in a lot of self-storage companies because this is an industry that is only growing. <laughs> it can never decline. The, the population of the country is bigger, more people move because the population is bigger. And whenever they move, they got to store stuff. <laughs> so, and, and all you got to do is you got to buy a big box to store stuff in. Like there's no <laughs> way to skip that. <laughs> yeah. He's it's certainly been, I mean, it's a great book. I've read it and it's certainly been a good for him and his real estate investing business. But like, we've had examples of that. We've had examples of, uh, you know, a memoir by one of our authors, Redefining Normal, about growing up in the foster adopt system and redefining normal in that. I mean, I know they've sold 10 or 20,000 copies of that memoir, which memoirs are really hard to sell if you're not famous. You know, as you know. And, and by the way, I want to I want to mention there's a lot of reasons to write a book. One is, of course, to make money and to sell a lot of copies, which might not be the same thing, by the way. The other is, you know, I wish right now that my great 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 grandfather or grandmother had written and self published the book because then, like, and so a, a memoir doesn't have to sell a gazillion copies for it to be incredibly valuable. For one thing, your descendants are going to read it and it's something you could leave behind so that people could know who you were, people who, who care about it and, and, and wanna know. It's a gift you give to your descendants when you write a memoir, whether it sells even one copy while you're alive. So that's important. Memoirs are hard to sell. I'm surprised publishers publish so many crappy memoirs, but they're such a valuable thing to self-publish. I encourage everyone to do it. Let's say someone's a first time author, you know, your book published says you're going to get them to 10,000 copies. What's the best marketing techniques? Yeah. So there's kind of, I call this the launch triangle. 
there's three core components. There's a launch team, there's getting reviews, and then there's doing promotions. So a launch team, these, this is a group of people who support your book. It could be friends, family, customers, colleagues. That's 50 people, 100 people, maybe more, right? So launch team, and then that launch team helps get reviews along with a bunch of other stuff. And then there's promotions, which that's the difference between what I would call like the MVP launch, the minimum viable product launch, and a traditional book launch, which is, you know, any traditionally published book that you've seen has probably followed that format, is the amount of promotion. So that's depending on how much time, money, and energy you have to put in this book. That's kind of the accordion of promotions. And so those are the three things that I recommend for people to launch their book successfully and sell more copies. And then I think probably the most important thing is just the mindset of this is a one-year launch, not a one-week launch. So many people mm. focus on launch week, which is definitely important, but then they just drop it like it's hot. <laughs> and it's like, oh, what book? <laughs> it's the book that they launched like three months ago and they're not even talking about it anymore. And so it's important that you really follow that one-year launch and keep talking about and promoting the book long after you publish. I think that's really important. And that's very different from mainstream publishers. Mainstream publishers, I, I hate to say it, and maybe this is not true for all of them, but all the ones I've experienced and I've published with every major publisher, they really just care about the first week or two. And it's unfortunate yeah. that that's true. Yeah. And I, I hate that aspect of them. But you're right, with self-published, uh, for instance, take a very well-known self-published book, originally self-published, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. He wrote it. He self-published it initially, like in 1997. And for years, it was just, it didn't sell any copies, but then suddenly it slowly started to take off. And now it's, you know, the, the rights were bought by a major publisher, I forget who. And it's, it's a massive, huge, you know, 10 million or more books sold bestseller. So self-published books, I think, have a more opportunity to be, you know, sleepers that take off later. Yeah. And even if you sell less copies, you'll make more money. <laughs> That's the thing. I yeah. mean, unless you're getting a massive advance, which like you said, you're not getting a, a big advance unless you have a massive audience and, and you, a big name and all that stuff. But so take that off the table. If you're talking about actual money that you make from your book sales, you're going to make more self-published. But, but okay. So what are promotional techniques though? Yeah. Um, so there's, I mean, the biggest one is the launch team. Like I mentioned, like that's a, that's, that, that, that's one of the, if you just do one thing, do that. Um, but then when it comes down to actual promotion stuff, there's a lot of different ones. There's podcast interviews, um, there's Amazon ads or BookBub ads, there's promotions, like do BookBub um, ads you can run work? deals and stuff. Yes. Now it's just like any other ad. I mean, you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs before you actually get to the point where the ads are working for you. But a lot of our authors, those BookBub ads work well. Amazon ads work well. What do you mean? Like, who do I have to? Which frogs do I have to kiss? Like, why can't I just? Why can't I just pay for an ad? <laughs> well, you uh, meaning that you're going to launch a bunch of ads that won't like you. It's not going to work from day one. You'll probably lose money for the first month or two. Um, but then you kind of narrow in your targeting, the algorithm gets smarter, like all of that stuff gets better. And so um, we have a lot of authors that have success with that long-term. So BookBub, if people don't know, and I don't know if I'm describing it correctly, there's a bunch of sites like this. They kind of send out an email list of like what book deals are happening that week. And, and, and you see this on their site and, and so on. I think I'm getting it right. And then how do I, so I'm on their site, I don't see an ad, but does the ad go on their emails or how does it work? Yeah, good question. Um, so the ad goes in, in some of their emails and they've got kind of like a little marketplace and they've become known as a place 
uh, where people come to buy books, right? And a lot of times they're, they're discounted books or they're books in a specific category. Maybe you're running a 99 cent promo on an ebook or something like that. Um, but those are the main places um, that they get run and you can do cost per click ads, you can do impression ads, you can do all, all, all different kind of stuff. I'm on their site right now. Like, where are the ads? To be honest, beyond the scope of my knowledge, I know that my coaching team is in there all the time and they teach on it. And a lot of our authors have a lot of success with it. I wonder if like getting on the different lists is a paid for, maybe that's the ad. Yeah. Oh, I see some ads here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good I'm going to look into this because I've never used BookBub ads. Mm -hmm. And you know, here's another interesting thing. I've used Amazon ads, but you cannot use Amazon ads on books you don't you haven't published. So even oh, if I'm trying to do an yeah. ad for my book. Super frustrating. And, and, and by the way, the publisher is not going to pay for no. an ad on Amazon, no. even if it's $10, right. it's just right. not their thing. Mm -hmm. So I tried to do an ad on my last mainstream published book and they wouldn't let me. You could only do it on your yeah. self-published books. And Amazon is, of course, a great place to advertise. Yeah. Where, where else, like, <laughs> yeah. would you advertise on Facebook? Uh, not as much. I mean, Amazon is kind of the bread and butter, although that's gotten more competitive over the last year or two. But, but the model works if you're self-published because you don't have big margins, obviously, but you've got a captive audience on a site where a lot of people buy books. So Amazon ads have been the primary mechanism that we've used. BookBub is kind of more of an emerging thing. We were just doing a training last week or the week before, and one of the guys on my team was breaking down the whole thing on how he does it with his book, and it's working really well for him and some of the other authors we're teaching. And then beyond that, Facebook wouldn't recommend it. Some people have success uh, with it, but it's just hard to get the numbers to work. I mean, you've got to be able to acquire customers for five bucks or less to be able to make any sort of profit on that. And then Amazon and Facebook don't give you great tracking or visibility into is that ad actually leading to a sale? And so that's kind of the hardest part. Oh, some people do. I don't know if this is still a thing, but every now and then I see someone who's written like 200 books, like 200 Kindle books. I mean, there was this guy, well, Steve Scott is one. Well, I'm sure you've heard of. There's another guy, Patrick King. They write like all these books, like how to have small talk, how to be, you know, the science of getting started, how to speak effectively, read people like a book, social <laughs> fluency, awkward yeah. silences, yeah. improve your people skills. And so they write book after book after book. And I call these KDP businesses. Yep. Is that still a thing? It's, it's definitely still a thing. I mean, I think that market got flooded because people saw people having success with it. And so it's kind of an SEO play. I always talk about Google is a search engine of browsers. Amazon is a search engine of buyers. <laughs> so when people go to, to Google, they go to search for information. When they go to Amazon, they go to search for things to buy. So I think that's one of the most powerful things about a book is if you have a book that solves a specific problem, well, you're one click away from a purchase with all of that traffic. And so these folks are kind of tapping into that, which is what are popular search terms? How can we get that to show up? in Amazon or even on Google, but with an Amazon link because it's a high SEO term. And then that turns into clicks, which turns into book purchases, which turns into kind of serialized book-based businesses. And then you kind of have a, a following around that where you have a bunch of small books around specific topics and people buy all the other books and that sort of thing. So it's very much still a thing. And if you want to be full-time as an author, it, it, it certainly is a path. Finally, What's the role of AI in all this? Like, I'm sure people have already used AI to write books. AI, I would say, is not a good writer. It's very generic. Even if they improve it, it's going to be hard for it to, right. to be a great writer. 
you know, because it's it's never experienced anything. So it doesn't really draw from that emotion. But of course, you know, AI is going to improve. What's the role of AI in writing books? And then I have one final question after that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think it'll I don't think it'll ever learn how to write better than James Altucher. That's for sure. Uh, that's definitely <laughs> for sure. But I, you know, I think it, the role is, that it plays is in is in helping reduce friction throughout the process. So some ways that we're using it is to help come up with titles or subtitles to write potential book descriptions. Um, and then some of our team is testing it for editing, which is actually really good at. Um, especially a lot of the basic, more commoditized editing. It can do content improvement and some editing. But as, as far as, you know, first draft output, I think that will be like the last frontier that will continue to live with the author. And then AI can make a lot of the other fringe things better. And what's the best place people can find you and your site and self-publish their book and so on? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So I'd say two main things that would be most helpful. So first and foremost, I'd love to give a copy of this book, a free physical copy to anyone who wants it in the U.S., uh, when you say this book, since it's uh, audio. On audio, yeah. So published my new book. Um, so all you have to do is go to publishedbook.com forward slash Altucher. So published, like I published a book.com forward slash Altucher. Put in your shipping address and we'll ship it, pack it, print it, all that stuff for free. You don't have to pay anything. And if you're international, we'll send you a digital copy. So that's the first place, probably the best place. And then the second place is... James and I are hosting a training on May 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern, Confessions yeah, of really a New York Times bestseller. It's going to be a lot of fun. Even if it's after that date and you're hearing this, we'll have the replay there. Um, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash Altucher, and you can register for that training. It's going to be a lot of fun. And that's May 2nd. I'm very excited about that. I am getting nothing for that, but I just, I love this business. I love this industry. Oh, and I was going to tell you an idea I had, and then I'll, I'll let you go. I know you have to get going. You should contact every podcaster. Every episode is a book. Like, let's say I interview um, mm -hmm. Richard Branson, or, or let's say, look, look, I have a book in my background here, Think Like a Billionaire. It's just a collection of 10 of my podcasts with billionaires where I, I get the transcript, I That's heavily cool. edit it, I wrote yeah. an intro and an outro. And so the audiobook's already done because it's all the podcasts stapled together. And there's 2 million podcasters out there. This is another outlet for them to get their word out. Agreed. It's a big market. Yeah. All right. Well, Chandler Bolt, founder, CEO, owner of selfpublishing.com. You've published 7,000 books. Your books do really well. Your book published, everyone should get. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Always great to talk to you. I'm looking forward to May 2nd, where we're going to do this training together. A lot of fun. Thank you so much. James, this was a dream come true. Thanks for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 